Uh, if you will, go ahead and grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's where we will camp out today. We are excited to be here. I appreciate all the uh, prayers. Uh, I've had multiple people come up and say they've been praying for us and also the encouragement of us being here. Uh, it's great to be, uh, be at Longview Point. And uh, it's also great that this is the last Sunday we'll be commuting. So we're excited about that and you know, get to sleep a little bit later in the morning, hopefully next week, as long as uh, you know, the kids allow. So, uh, but if you will, um, stand up uh, for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. And we will dive in uh, to what He has for us today. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're going to read verses 1 through 9. And this is what it says. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Verse 3, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through it. And Lord, we just pray that during this time uh, that you uh, and your Holy Spirit will move in a mighty way. Lord, help us to draw closer to you. And Lord, draw our families uh, to a gospel-centered approach as well. Uh, Lord, you are so good, and we praise you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So January 5th, 2011 is the day that I will always remember. And uh, what, it started out as a regular Wednesday, uh, nothing special going on. You know, Wednesdays are always kind of hectic, hectic for student ministers. Uh, we don't really, you know, we always have stuff going on trying to get ready for Wednesday night. I love Wednesday night time with the youth. I uh, love just getting to spend that time with them. It's my favorite time of the week, honestly. And uh, So it was a regular Wednesday, and uh, I get a phone call from Shannon, my wife, that afternoon asking me to come home. And uh, she was asking me if I would come, and there was something wrong in the backyard. She didn't really know what it was, didn't really have like a whole lot of, just something wrong in the backyard. Needed me to come and check it out. And I was like, I I can't, I got to do some things to to take care of for tonight, uh, but is it okay if I check it out when I get home tonight after church? And she said, yeah, that's fine. Okay, so that's, that's the end of it. Didn't really think a whole lot of it at that point, but uh, we ended up you know, having a great night at youth that night. And I come home, and like I said, it's kind of a hectic day, so Wednesday nights after you get home from church, you're just kind of tired, right? Uh, you've been investing in the kids and everything, and so we get home, or I get home, and um, you know, Shannon's already out in the backyard, and uh, she's out there with our dogs, and 
Um, I was like, okay, I'm just going to change clothes real fast and I'll come out there. Well, apparently it was taking me a little bit longer than it should have. And so she calls in, are you coming? I was like, yeah, I'm coming, I'm coming. You know, so I come out there and, you know, I'm looking. And this may tell you a little bit about Shannon, I don't know. But uh, she's got, we had two dogs at the time. And uh, one of the dogs has a white t-shirt on, white undershirt with the number one on it. That was the first dog that we had gotten. The uh, other one was also decked in a white undershirt. This one had the number two on it. And then the third, or the, a third shirt was on Shannon with a three on it. And uh, I, I didn't really think anything of it. <laughs> that may be what tells you a little bit about Shannon and her creativity. Uh, I was just like, okay, you put dogs on the shirt. That's great. Or dog, shirts on the dog. That would make more sense. So you put shirts on the dog, great. And uh, we come back inside, you know, I could tell, you know, she's wanting to tell me something, and so she pulls out a pregnancy test at that point. And uh, my response was, whose is that? <laughs> Which may tell you a little something about me. So uh, not, the, not the quickest on, on those times, I guess. But the reason why I tell that story is because from that time on, uh, Deuteronomy 6 has meant... Uh, the world to me and to our family. Uh, it is our goal. It is our heart's desire. It is um, what we long uh, to do within our family. But, you know, when we think about Deuteronomy 6, we do focus a lot on the family, which is good, and, and I want to hit on that today. But we also, I don't want us to miss out on the individual part of it as well. And so I want to start looking at the individual, the daily aspects of life, coming from Deuteronomy 6, and then we'll conclude with looking at the family and uh, God's plan for the family through it as well. So three aspects of daily living uh, according to Deuteronomy 6. Are you ready? First, there's a call to obedience. Call to obedience. You see this in verses 1 through 3. This is what this says. It says, Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, that is a command to each of us as individuals. That is to a call to obedience. Moses is talking here, right? He is the one who is teaching, but if you notice, he's just the messenger. He's just delivering the message that God had for him. This is not something that Moses came up with. This is not something that he just created, but he's telling us here in verse 1, the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. He's just given them the Ten Commandments. He's just given them the law. And he's telling them, okay, you're about to enter into the land, and it would be wise of you to do what God commanded. He tells you that twice in three verses. I think he's trying to make the point of obedience. So Moses is called to teach, and Israel is called to do. And through it, he even makes promises of blessing. But let's look at what Israel exactly is called to do. Look on down and you'll see verse 2. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God. 
That's the first thing that he's called us to do right there. And I wonder, when was the last time that you stood in awe of God? When was the last time that that you as, you know, we'll talk about family, but individually, you had a true fear of the Lord. Honestly, I think a lot of times our view of God is too small. I think a lot of times we like to put God in a box or we think of God as a genie in a bottle that we can just, you know, ask for things and we don't have a high enough view of who God is. We don't have a fear. We don't have an awe. We've kind of lost our amazement of the majesty of God. And he's telling them right here in these verses, he's telling, fear the Lord your God. Know who he is. Realize that this is the God who created the world by speaking it into being. Realize that this is the God who sustains it with his very breath. Every breath that we have is a gift from him. That's amazing to think about. Each star in the sky is held there by him. Do we have a fear of the Lord? Do we have a view of him that is high enough for who he is? Or is he just our little Jesus that we like to pull out on Wednesdays and Sundays and then put back in our pocket the rest of the week? Moses tells them first and foremost that we are called to fear the Lord. You know, Israel at times, they did. At times when you, you see fruitfulness in the nation of Israel. You see fruitfulness in their kings because they had a true understanding of who God was. But then you would also see plenty of times in Israel where they did not. And they would rebel. And I think that's true in our lives as well. I think there are times in our lives where we have the right view of God, where we you know, stand in awe of who He is, where we truly worship Him. And then there's also times where we're more concerned with ourselves being on the throne. Moses is commanding Israel, God's commanding Israel to fear the Lord. But there's a second part to this as well, isn't there? Second part to the obedience, the call to obedience, he says, let's continue, let's, let's start back at the beginning of verse 2. It says, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. You know, he's challenging us there to keep the commandments. Many of us know the commandments, or at least we have an idea of what the commandments are. It's not a knowledge problem for us, is it? You know right from wrong. We know right from wrong. But yet we continue to choose wrong, don't we? You know, even Paul talks about the very thing that he hates to do, he continues to do. So it's not a struggle that's just for us. But we realize that in America today, in the church today, that we have more biblical information at our fingertips than in ever in history, right? It's not a knowledge issue. At my, on my phone right now, I can pull up any podcast that you want to listen to just about, of any preacher that's preaching the gospel, right? There's a chance for Bible knowledge all over the place. You come here. I can pull up also on my phone. I have an app, right, with probably 25 to 30 different Bible translations on my phone right there. All I have to do is just, 
press a couple of buttons on the screen, all of a sudden, there it is. It pops up. Whatever kind of translation you want, it's right there. Not only that, I have access to thousands of books about the Bible. And we have these different things at our fingertips. We're blessed with all of this, with the Bible, with the opportunity for God's Word and to know God's Word and and everything. But yet, it's not a matter of us knowing it, is it? It's a matter of us applying it and doing it and keeping the commandments and living the way that He's called us to live. Israel is called to do what they're supposed to do. You know, I shared this with the youth on uh, Wednesday night, but Luke uh, talks about this a little bit, or Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 6, and he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you don't obey what I say? And that's convicting to me. Because I look at my life and I wonder how many times he would say that to me. How many times have I fallen short and he's saying, okay, you're saying, Lord, but where's the application? Where's the doing? Where's the the following what I've commanded you? So we are called to do and to keep his commandments. But if that was it, if that was all that we were called to for daily living, that would be kind of a burdensome life, wouldn't it? It would really be, it would lack so much of what Christ is about. If all it was was obedience. I had a guy come to my office a few months ago. And uh, it, was, it was an interesting conversation. You never know what you're going to get when, when somebody calls you up. And he called me out of the blue and um, said his marriage was in trouble. And uh, so he asked if I could meet with him. I wasn't in the office at the time, but I rushed back up there to, to get to meet with him. And it was so fascinating to me. He, uh, they've been attending our church for a really, really long time. And um, he gets in there and he tells me, he says, you know, I respect what you do. I love what you do. Um, but really, I think Christianity is just, um, you know, or, or religion is just an attempt to control people's behavior. You know, we, lo- we love coming to church here. We love what y'all do, but... That's really the whole thing about it. It's really just, you know, back in a long time ago, they just wanted to control how people acted. And so, you know, we just continued that on. We want everybody to act good. We want them to be right, you know. And I got to, got to share the gospel with him and show him for the very first time that there is a call to obedience but that's not all that Christianity is about. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts and, and what you can do and what you can't do, but there's something more to it. And that's a call to love. That Christ has called us to love. The most quoted verses in all of Scripture, you know, we, we think it would be John 3.16 because that's one of our favorite verses, but Jews quote verses 4 and 5 more than any other verse, and, and they do it daily, uh, those that are devout. So they, you, you'll hear this verse a lot. But verses 4 and 5, this is what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's not simply obedience. But it's a call to love Christ. 
It's a call to love God. You know, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, do you know what he quoted? He quoted this verse right here. He pointed them, he pointed the people as they were trying to trick him, as they were trying to trip him up. He said, okay, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all that you have. And then the second is to love your neighbor. He summed it up right there. Not only that, he also tells us it's the way of life. Look at Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 28 with me. Here they go. They're trying to test him again. And this is what he says, or this is what it says. And the lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Okay. And he, being Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, and he goes on to to share the good Samaritan right after that. But do you hear there, Jesus is telling you, this is the way to life. To love the Lord your God with all of your being. He goes on to tell us that he is the way and the truth and the life. So if you want to love God, you love Jesus because he is God. And so there is a call to love. What does the love of Christ protect us from? You know, as we're reading this, as we're called to love and and we've talked about obedience already. But I, I think it's important for us to see why the love part is so important. I think first off, it protects us from legalism. So a, a great fun word. But basically it's trying to earn God's favor. It's trying to do right so that you can please God. And as you look at Ephesians 2, it tells us that it is by grace that we've been saved, through faith, not by works, so that none of us can boast. And so we have to realize that, that it's not an earning of God's joy. We don't love, you know, we don't do things out of obligation, but we do things because we get to. We serve Christ because we get an opportunity to do that because of what he's already done for us. It is out of love that we do it. Let me, let's think of this together, okay? I know a lot of you are married or, you know, dating. But if I was to go up to my wife and, you know, say, you know, I, I washed the dishes because I felt like I had to today. You know, just, just wanted you to know I, washed, I, I did it just so you wouldn't give me a hard time, right? You know, just hope you're happy, you know. What kind of response is that going to be? Many of y'all are laughing because you know what that response would be. It's not going to be that favorable for me, is it? But if it's because I love you, if it's because I wanted to, to take a chance to, to just do something for you or, you know, give you a break or, you know, allow you to, to, to do something that you want to do, but it's out of love, then it's a lot different than out of duty, isn't it? Be received a lot differently. But see, love of Christ protects us from legalism, which is simply trying to earn it. But it does something else too. It also protects us from loose living. 
You see it throughout the New Testament over and over again where, where the new believers just didn't, have a quite, didn't quite have a grasp of what God had for them. And so they were choosing to constantly sin. Paul actually deals with it in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, he says, What shall we do then? Shall we continue to sin so that grace can increase? And what's his answer? By no means. Exclamation point. Make sure you realize that that is not what we're supposed to do. Because if we truly love Christ, if we truly have him in our hearts and a desire to serve him and to love him as we're loving him with all of our being, then we realize that we don't want to be ones that abuse God's grace. We don't want to trample on it. We don't want to you know, take advantage of what his sacrifice has done for us. I read this quote from William Barclay and it says, How despicable it would be for a son to consider himself free to sin because he knew that his father would forgive. How despicable it would be for a son to feel free to sin because he knows his father would forgive him. That's so true, isn't it? And what are we called? Sons and daughters of the Most High King. So what better illustration is there than that? Loving Christ, loving God protects us from legalism, but it also protects us from the other end of the spectrum, which is living just rebelliously, living loosely, and missing out on serving Christ. So those are individual things. Those are things that we see in this, in this text that apply to every single one of us sitting here. But as we continue on, we get to see something else too. Verse 6, this is what it says. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know, as I read that, I was a football player back in high school, um, told the students one of my most memorable moments in football actually took place on Hernando's football field uh, as an opponent. It wasn't pretty, um, but well, you know, it's not important. But, uh, you know, in football, you, you had these little quirks, right? Like, is anybody, you know, Notre Dame football, right? And uh, one of the things that Notre Dame football loves to do, they have one of these traditions. Uh, as they're going down onto the field, there's this nice little sign, right? And on that sign, it says, play like a champion today, right? And a lot of other teams have taken things like that and, you know, have encouraged that. You know, and so as they go out on the field, they got to slap the sign. You got to make sure you touch the sign, otherwise you're not going to play well. Apparently the sign hasn't worked that well for Notre Dame over the years, but they try. And... Um, you know, as I read this, I can't help but think about that, you know, because you have this, this picture of, you know, Scripture being everywhere. And, and that's great, and that's, you know, it's good to have that as a reminder, but I don't want us to miss out on what the heart of this text is really talking about. And that is just that the Word of God, that, that Christ will constantly be on our lips in the things that we do, in the things that we say that it will be a constant life that we're living out and doing. I love verse 7. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your sons. 
if you look at the, the actual Hebrew of that, it's talking about impressing it on your sons. It's talking about piercing through. It is, it's so much deeper than what we can even fathom here in the English of, of you know, great intention of doing it. We have to be intentional in pointing our students, our kids, to Jesus. When we're going to baseball games, what are we talking about? When they mess up at the baseball game, what are we talking about? When you're driving to school, what are we talking about? When we're going shopping, what are we talking about? Are we feeling, filling our conversations with Christ? Are we being intentional in the way that we raise them? Or are we really just letting the world take over? You know, whatever they do, whatever our students do, whatever our kids do, you know, we want, it to do, we want them to do it for the glory of the Lord. We want them to be the best that they can be at it. But do we want them, or are we pointing them towards Christ in those things? Are we showing them how to live as Christ in everything that they do? You know, we have to be intentional of that. And you see that throughout Scripture. Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as I am perfect. Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I wonder how many of us can say that. One of my proudest moments uh, as a dad, and you know, like I said, he's, he, John August is about to be three, um, so I'm still learning a lot and look forward to learning from all of you. Uh, but one of my proudest moments as a dad actually took place um, as he was leaving here when we were here um, the Sunday that I got to share my testimony. And my parents had actually come up, and they had picked him up and uh, picked up Dempsey, our, our little girl, and they were taking them um, back to our house for a little while. But my mom called me as they were on their way down there. And I loved what she had to say. I was, so, uh, I was just so excited about it. But she called and she said, do you know what John August is doing? And I said, no, what, what's he doing? She said, the whole time that we've been, been going back so far, He's just been talking about everything that God made. And so they're just driving down the road, and he's sitting there going, God made the tree. God made the bird. God, you know, and he's just pointing out all these things. And that seems so simple, but you, know, you get to see the fact that he's getting just a little bit of what we've been trying to, to instill in him. Of this you know, power of God, this majesty of God, this greatness of God as our creator even. He made everything. And so just getting a glimpse of him you know, responding to some of the stuff that we, we're being intentional about is so encouraging. But that continues to grow as they grow. It continues to change as they change, but yet we want to constantly be pointing them to Jesus. And that brings me to the, the next thing, and that's to be consistent. If you notice in this, in those verses that are read, it is not something that just happens once, is it? It's not just one conversation. It's not just, okay, you know, you're now saved. That's all we have to do. That's, that's it. 
but it is a consistent telling them about Jesus, telling them about God, encouraging them to love the Lord with all of their being. And I don't want us to miss out on that. I love what I get to do. I love serving students. I love serving families. Um, But my time that I get with the students is actually really limited. I think it's important. Like I said, I love Wednesday nights and and getting to preach the word to them and, um, you know, challenge them in their walk. But as you look at the amount of time that I get with your students to the amount of time that you get with your students, it's an astronomical difference. And most of the time when I'm with your students, I'm with a group. And as I'm reading this text, and I'm constantly reminded of parents being the primary disciplers of their kids. It's a privilege to get to come alongside and encourage and challenge. But I get maybe two or three hours a week. You can get that in a day. And you do get it most days. But my question is, families, are we being intentional? Are we being consistent in pointing our kids to Christ? It's something that we still struggle with. It's something that we constantly seek after. But our goal is to train our kids up in the ways of the Lord. And I hope that's your goal too. Today, There's a lot of ways that you can respond. This text is just full uh, of just conviction, uh, full of just, uh, you just see God's hand all over it. I love this passage of Scripture. But how are you going to respond today? Is there some disobedience in your life that you need to let go of? something that you've been holding on to, a sin that you are entangled in, that God's telling you today's the day for you to let it go. Or maybe maybe today's the day that you actually fall in love with Christ for the very first time. Maybe, maybe you've been going through the motions. You know, we, you're expected to be at church, or your family wants you here, or you're trying to please somebody, but you really have no idea about the love that Christ has for you. Or maybe you just, you've forgotten your first love. And maybe today God's calling you back to that. He's reviving that passionate fire within your heart of loving him again. Or maybe you're a dad who just needs to intercede for, for your son or your daughter. or truly become intentional and consistent in the way of following Christ for your family. There's so many ways to respond. Some of you may already be doing that, and that's, uh, praise the Lord for that. But are you bringing others alongside you to help them with their families as well? As we look at this text, I just, it, it's amazing to me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. My prayer is that we do that today.